turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The Lord has led me in recent days to preach through the book of Hebrews. I've never done that in 50 years of ministry. I've preached messages from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is not an easy uh, passage to uh, to study and to, but it's a, an exciting one when you get a hold of some of the truth. I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 2 this morning and beginning reading with verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, after the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Man is a paradox. He's capable of doing great things and, and being very uh, uh, patient and kind and all of that in one moment and the next moment being almost like the devil himself. The, this passage of Scripture deals with man. Uh, I know when we read that, we look at that, and it talks about uh, the Son of Man, and we think of Jesus as the Son of Man. But in this place, he's talking about, the, about man himself. Who is man that thou art mindful of him, or the Son of Man that thou visitest him? This passage of Scripture is referred to, or refers to, the eighth chapter of the Psalms. I want to read that eighth psalm to you, and then you pick up on verses four and five. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the, of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
there are three things, three phases that he's talking about uh, concerning man in this passage of Scripture. And I want to try to deal with those three phases, uh, three states of humankind. You know, uh, I know it's not politically or socially correct to talk about men and women as men, but that's the way the Bible refers to it. When it talks about man, it's talking about mankind or humankind. So, ladies, I'm not uh, being unkind to you. I'm just using the words that the Bible uses. Man. Who, who art thou? Man. I want to speak to you this morning on what is man. And notice, first of all, the sovereignty of man in his created state. In verses 6 through 8, the Bible tells us here that, that he has distinction. He, is, he, he has uh, the hand of God upon him. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll find how that God created man in his own image and made him distinctively different than all the beasts of the field. Gave him the distinction of being like God himself. And the, the original thing that God made man for was to have that distinction. Not only that, the Bible teaches us that man in that state was to have the distinction not only of being like God, but he has discipline. The Lord said, multiply and replenish the earth. In that original state, man was to be the uh, to have the distinction of being like God. He was to have the discipline of bringing uh, children, bringing uh, offspring, and replenishing the earth. And then he says that he has dominion. He is to rule over everything. That's what he's talking about when he talks about uh, who, who art thou, man, that you have this kind of distinction and truth. In, in other words, just simply said, in, the, in the, the original state of man. God made us in an honorable position, and the honor of that position was to have fellowship with God Himself. But then there came that, that awful day when God came down from, from uh, heaven to have His time of fellowship. Of course, God knew that things had happened, and there was failure in humankind. And we, we read the, the Word of God how that man had fallen into sin. So the second thing we see, not only do we see the, the uh, sovereignty of man in his original estate, but we see the sinfulness of man in his conquered state. And this is where we live today. In the, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In this sinful state, and friend, I want you to know that no matter what we think, we are living in a sinful state. Now, I'll get there in a minute where we've been redeemed if we're saved by the grace of God. But in that sinful state, and you say, well, what brings sin? And I want to tell you from the book of Genesis, from the fall of man, there are three things that are involved. Number one, the selfishness of humankind. The Bible said that one day Satan, the serpent, came 
and said, you know that fruit out there that God said for you not to, not to partake of? Well, let me tell you, Satan said, if you partake of it, you become gods within yourself. You become little gods. That's what he literally is saying. And self conquered humanity. That, that you know, we say, the devil made me do it. And certainly the bottom line is the devil. But I want to tell you, the devil works on our selfish estate. Do you realize this morning that the greatest failure that any of us have is selfishness? And that self-ego that we want to build up and make glorious. And, and you know, none of us are, are uh, I don't think we're capable of saying, don't ever brag on me. I told Brother uh, Thompson a while ago, I said, don't, don't, make the, uh, don't say too much about me in your introduction because I might not live up to it. I remember Brother Willingham, boy, he could, he, could, he could introduce you as good as any man I've heard. I love to preach on his day because he make you feel like you're somebody. Well, I want you to know you are somebody today, but we have a selfishness. We, we, are, we are bound to self, and self is the beginning of failure and moving into sin. Not only selfishness, but in that day, there was sin conquered. Selfishness, and then sin. Well, you say, what is sin? Sin is anything that defies and denies the nature of God. God said, don't you eat of that forbidden fruit. And the devil said, go right ahead. It'll make you, it'll, it'll make you a, a God. So in that fall, in that, uh, this sinful state, selfishness enters the picture, sin enters the picture, and of course the bottom line is that, the, that Satan is there. And by the way, I'll tell you something. Satan is bigger than you are. You better, you better realize that. If, you wanna, if you're going to deal with, with sin in your life, you better realize that Satan is bigger than you are. And if you don't let God take over your life, then you're, you're in trouble. I don't have the, I have a new man living in me, but I have an old man to contend with. And that old man is subject to the hand of of Satan. So we see man in his, in that uh, created state, and in that sovereignty, God wanted him to, to multiply and replenish the earth and to have dominion over the earth. And that's what he's talking about in verses 6 through 8 of this passage of Scripture. And then, but he says in that last part of verse 8, uh, he says, But we see not yet all things put under him. In other words, we're living in a fallen state. We're living in that state of sinfulness. But let me, let me share something else with you. And this is where I, I, I want to read uh, this passage. I know this is quite a lengthy passage, but the third chapter of the book of, of uh, Genesis. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely 
die. For God doth know that in the day thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they... Uh, they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, won't you hear this? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? What a, what, what a word of guilt. Now, God knew geographically where they were. And God knew what had happened in their lives and their failure. But God was saying, Adam, since you've sinned, where are you? And you know what I believe? I believe God's saying to America and to us today, since you've sinned, where are you? Who, who are you, man, humankind, that, that God has put His stamp of approval upon you? And I want to show you where we are today. And I'm thankful for this. It's such a, a, a joy to my heart as I think about what, what the Bible says here in verse number 9. If I can get these pages open. I used to preach without notes, but I'm too old now. Listen to this. But we see Jesus. <laughs> but we see Jesus. I tell you, there's not a, there's no greater way in all the world to describe the third point of my sermon today, the salvation of man in his converted state. But we saw Jesus. Do you remember the day when you saw Jesus? I remember the day when God began to deal with my heart as a young boy and helped me to realize I saw Jesus. I'm glad I've seen Jesus. I, I, I have a, a friend. I, he's not going to be my friend long because I, I, I get away from him because he's always telling me he's seen Jesus three times. And it's some kind of a, a, a vivid uh, imagination. I don't know if he's on drugs or what it is, but... But he sees Jesus. And Jesus come talk to him in the garden the other day and told him, you know, to get away from the garden, that he'd make the garden crazy stuff. You say, have you never seen Jesus? I've never seen him in physical form, but I've seen him bigger than that in the spirit of, of the Holy God, in, in the Holy Spirit, I've seen Jesus just for who Jesus is. I, I don't believe I, I can imagine what He is, but, but I've seen Jesus. I saw Him when He came to my heart and, and began to deal with my, my conscience and my, my consciousness and drew me to the realization that I was lost and on my way to hell, but I saw Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Listen. Who is this Jesus? Look at these verses. This is what I want to deal with this morning. You say, well, you ought to be done by now. But listen, you'll like this. 
First of all, when I saw Jesus, I realized Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Look again at verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus is our Savior. Sometime, you know, I, I heard something this morning. If, if you get off of Facebook, uh, that you, you'd live a lot better life and have a lot less stress and, and politics wouldn't bother you near as much. If you get off as much as four weeks, the psychologists are saying that it'll help you to be a better person. Well, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. You know what we do? We get on Facebook and we think, man... If this would work out, and this would work out, and, and this is so true, and this is so wrong, and, and if we got a new president, well, we'd have, we, he'd save us all. I'm going to tell you Democrats and you Republicans, it doesn't matter how many presidents we have in the White House, not one of them can ever save us. No matter how... You know, if we get uh, uh, Kung Fu or whatever his name is to put away his, uh, his uh, bomb. <laughs> Ain't going to save us. That wasn't funny. <laughs> I couldn't pronounce his name. <laughs> hey, Listen. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is my Savior. The only Savior. Saved my soul. When I was a, a young boy on my way to hell, Jesus reached down. I saw Jesus and He lifted me up out of the miry clay of sin, set my feet upon a solid rock and established my going towards heaven. Jesus is my Savior. Not only that, Jesus is our sacrifice. Listen again to the last part of that. That he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He's our sacrifice. The death is pictured here as a cup. A cup let's just say a cup of liquid. And that word tasted here in the King James Version the, is not just a, a little nip. He didn't just uh, like some of my old uh, uncles and used to saucer a little coffee. You ever, you ever seen anybody saucer their coffee? They'd get it so hot you couldn't, couldn't touch the pot on the stove, but they'd get it in the cup. It was too hot to drink, and they'd put it in a little, little saucer. And I can see my old uncle take a little nip of that, you know, and burn his tongue about half off. Boy, that's good coffee. That's not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Jesus drank the whole cup for you and for me. Brother Keith, Jesus didn't just take a little nip, a little taste of, of death and suffering for my sin and for your sin. Jesus drank the whole cup. You remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus went to Calvary and bore all of our sins in his own body on that cross. He drunk the whole cup for you and for me. He's our sacrifice. Rather than send us to the, you know, you think about how God in Christ took our sins, drank the whole cup. Not only that, salvation of man in his converted state. Jesus is our salvation. Look at verse 10, if you will. For it became him for all for whom all are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many son, sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You know what a captain is? A captain is one who leads and we're to follow. And Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He not only is our Savior and our sacrifice, but Jesus is our salvation. You say, well, what's the difference? Here's the difference. Not only did He save me when I was a young boy, a teenage boy, He saved me. But I want you to know this morning, He's saving me. He's my salvation. He's the captain of my salvation. He goes before me, and I am to follow Him. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. The captain. Man, what a captain. Listen, we were created for honor. We failed. Jesus reconciled. Is that not worth shouting about this morning? God wants to bring us back. He wants to recreate us. He wants to liberate us so that we can look beyond time, suffering, and death. He wants to give us eternity. I had a call from uh, one of my dear uh, members of the church. He, his son lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Brother Jimmy's been dying for several years now with cancer. But God somehow or another has sustained him and, and, and uh, through uh, the last three years that I've known him, he'll come just with just dragging into the church but, but has a, a glorious, glowing testimony and what God's doing for him. Never, never leans on his cancer and illness. And yesterday his son called me and said, it looks like just a matter of time until Daddy is going to be gone. Well, I expressed my condolences and told the son how sorry I was. You know what the son said to me? He said, Preacher, we're praying that God go ahead and take Dad because he's been through such suffering. We want it to be over, and we know that he'll be better off when he gets to heaven. Can you look at it that way? Because of the reconciling power of God, we go from place to place. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. There's a better home awaiting on that other shore. In, in, a, in a 
just in simplicity, and that's who I am, simplicity. In our original state, God created us to have dominion. He distinguished us by making us like him. I don't know that any of y'all look like him, but uh, we do, don't we? We failed. The Bible says, by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We live in a sinful world, in a sinful state, but thank God there's a Savior who reconciles us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also. Father, we're thankful today for your love, your mercy, your, your salvation, your sacrifice. You who knew no sin became sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in you. Thank you, Lord, that when all others fail, you're our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.